You guys can grab a seat. Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Life in LA was basically a hustler's paradise for a musician. You would run from gig to gig, session to session. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was very debaucherous. Anything went. My role uh, in the music industry is primarily as a bassist. That's what I first made my, my name around, my reputation in the area as. I think I started playing bass when I was about 16 years old. I started practicing four to six hours a day. I knew I could make a career out of it because my parents had made a career out of music. In 2001, a band that I was in at the time had generated some label interest from one of the majors and they had suggested that we relocate, see if we could build a buzz in the City of Angels. I felt like the entire world was open to me, it was available to me. There were so many opportunities. It was all right in front of me. I finally had access to it all. Along with those things comes access to literally everything else. I mean, all the alcohol and drugs you could ever want, it's right in front of you. It was work hard, play hard. Work hard, play hard. If I had one drink, I couldn't get the second one into me fast enough. So throughout my life, I would have these binges. I'd have you know, 15 drinks or something pass out on the floor. Wake up the next morning feeling like a sledgehammer had landed on my head. Everybody was partying, everybody was drinking on the job. Nobody wasn't doing it. Everybody partook in this. I started to feel that what I was doing and how I was living was wrong right, I would say about a few months before I actually met the woman who would become my wife. She was not a partier at all. She worked at Billboard magazine. So she was like, I'm not into partying, I'm not into that rock star thing. That's not my that's not my ball game. So if that's your ball game, go play it somewhere else. And that gave me a lot of incentive to kind of get it together. So at this point I started to say no and I started kept turning them down until eventually they stopped asking. We eventually uh, got married and we had a daughter and uh, she was our firstborn and she was just the complete light of my existence. A little bit after my first daughter was born, um, we, wanted, we wanted to have another daughter. You know, it took us a while, but uh, eventually we, uh, eventually she became pregnant with twins. Found out it was gonna be a boy and a girl. Everything, everything uh, changed for us around 12.30 after a gig one night when I got home and my wife said something was wrong. And we raced over to Cedar sinai Hospital where we were told that our, our, son was, our son was gone. He had passed away. And, uh, you know, it came, to, it came to be that three days later, uh, the girl had passed away as well. You know, we, we had her for about an hour, you know, where we told her that she was loved and that she was wanted and, um, and that we'd see her soon. And um, when I closed my eyes, that experience was playing on the inside of my eyelids. And I didn't think I could face tomorrow. Well, how are we doing, Hope? We good? Good to see you. Good to be with you this Easter weekend. Steve's story that he's sharing 
is so powerful, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit more of his story and his journey in just a little bit, and uh, it, it's, it's just amazing what God has done and is doing in his lives and in his life and so many of our lives. But I want to welcome you uh, right now to this Easter weekend and to all of our campuses all around, to everybody online, welcome to you. And uh, listen, I know that we don't all know each other super well, uh, but I do know this about all of us, that on a weekend like this, on Easter, we all come into this place from different stages of life from different experiences. And some of you come into this Easter weekend and you've had a great week or maybe you've had a great month and, and, and you are really good with God. And maybe you come into this Easter celebration weekend and, and God's been doing things in your family or with your kids or with your job or something like that or at school and you come in with just a lot of faith in God, a lot of trust in God, and you're really excited to be here. And I just want you to know I'm glad that you are around this Easter weekend. But I also know there's some of you who come into this Easter celebration weekend and you haven't had such a great week. Or some of you are maybe thinking, Todd, try great month, okay? It's been a month. Or some of you are saying, it's been a year, okay? I haven't had a great year, Todd. And the truth is, you may not want to admit it, but the truth is you come into this Easter maybe, maybe with less faith in God than you've had in a long time. And maybe you have more doubts about what God is doing and what God can do than you ever thought you would have. And I just want to say to you, I'm so glad that you are around this Easter weekend as well. And wherever you are, in your journey with God. I just want to pray that we bring our whole selves, our full selves, to this Easter weekend, to this time of study today, because you know what? We are celebrating the most significant event in all of human history. The day that Jesus defeated death and burst forth from the grave and displayed his love for you and for me. Amen? It, it's a great, great weekend to be together celebrating him. In fact, the event that we're going to study today is recorded in the Bible in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it from my Bible, but it'll also be up on the screen. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men asked them, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you when he was with you in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. I hope I would suggest to you this Easter weekend that the thing that makes Jesus and Christianity so utterly unique and distinct and stand out among all of the other religions of the world 
It's, it's not just Jesus' teaching. Even though Jesus' teaching, how many of you know, was amazing. I mean, it was revolutionary. But it wasn't just his teaching that made Christianity and Jesus stand out. It wasn't just his death, and it wasn't just his burial. It was indeed the resurrection of Jesus that makes him stand out. You see, every other religion of the world has had some kind of leader that has come onto the scene and inspired people and lived and died and was buried, right? Think about this. Confucius, the founder of Confucianism, He died at the age of 72 of natural causes. He's buried in China. Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, died of natural causes at the age of 83. He's buried near Nepal in the Himalayan mountains. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, died of an illness in 632. He's buried in Medina in Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, was killed by a mob in Carthage, Illinois on June 27, 1844. He's buried right now in Illinois. Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witness, he died of a heart attack on a train in Texas in 1916. He is buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, died of a stroke in 1986, and he's buried on the central coast of California. And here's the bottom line. We could go on and on and on and on this weekend, but here's the deal. You can go to any grave of any founder of any religion, and guess what? Their bodies are still there. They're still there. But how many of you know this? You could get on an airplane. You could get on an airplane today, and you could fly over to Israel, and you could go to the outskirts of the old city, and you know what? You could go visit a tomb there, and you could walk around inside that tomb, and you know what that tomb? That tomb is empty. Amen? It is empty. It is In fact, listen, this is crazy. It's actually the only place in the world where people travel to see what's not there. (laughs) Is that crazy? The tomb of Jesus is empty. And I promise you, I promise, I promise you that the Roman government in that first century, that those religious leaders in that first century, they would have loved to disprove the resurrection and the empty tomb of Jesus. And you know what? They could have easily done that. It would not have been difficult. Think about it. All they would have had to do to put an end to Christianity is what? Present a body. If they could have just presented a body. If if Jesus detractors could have taken people to a tomb and said, hey, 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 look, look, look. Here he is. He's still right here. He did not rise from the dead. He is dead right here. He is right here. Guess what? It would have been all over right then and there. No Easter. But guess what? They did not do that because they could not do that. Amen? They did not do that because they could not do that. Jesus lived, and then he died, and now he lives again. He lives again. And there's this incredible section of Scripture in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And it tells us about this journey 
of how Jesus left heaven, came down here to earth, and then went back to heaven. And I want us to spend just a little bit of time in this section of scripture this Easter weekend. We'll read it and then we'll kind of pull it apart and apply it to our lives. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's pause right there for just a moment. And let's go back through this and let's kind of pull this apart and see what happened with Jesus. Verse 6 says again, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So here's what I want us to realize. That Jesus held everything that God did in his hand. But the thing that absolutely blows me away when I really start thinking about it and meditating on it, the thing that blows me away is that Jesus did not grasp it too tightly. Jesus was willing to let go of his grip on heaven to come down here to this earth. And I can promise you, Hope, I promise you this. This earth was not Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. Okay, it just wasn't. Jesus, before he comes down to earth, isn't gathering all the angels around in heaven saying, come on, i got to tell you guys what's getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to go down there. You're not going to believe this. This is going to be unbelievable. I'm getting ready to go down there, and I'm going to be born in a cold stable. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be amazing. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to hang around some really, really stinky, stinky, stinky fishermen. It's going to be so cool. I'm gonna, I get to experience hunger. I get to experience pain. No, that's not what he's saying. I guarantee you, Jesus wasn't gathering all the angels around saying, wait till you see the last week of my life. In the last week of my life, I get to be mocked. I get to be beaten. I get to be falsely accused and betrayed and belittled. I get to, I get to be abandoned. I mean, how cool is that? No, listen. This earth was not Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. But here's, here's what I think. Here's what I think. Hope. And I believe this. I believe this with everything in me. You'll never convince me otherwise. I believe that Jesus, because he was God, was somehow able to look like 2,000 years into the future. And you know what he saw? He saw you. He saw you. And I know when I say you, you know, in a room where there's lots of other people or at home all over the place. I know when I say you, you think I'm talking about like you or some other you. No, I mean you. He saw you. He saw you. He didn't look down and see just this city or this state or this nation. He saw you. And so he did the only thing he could do. He let go of his grip on heaven so he could come here and try and grab a hold of you. I want you to get this picture in your mind as you think about Easter, as you think about the book of Philippians, him letting go of his grip on heaven to come here to grab a hold of you. Now, some of you may need to strap into your seats today as you realize that, that God 
is like desperately, madly, deeply, unconditionally in love with you. And I know right now, some of you, as I say these things, you're, you're kind of arguing with the preacher in your head. You ever do that? You ever argue with the preacher in your head? I'm saying something, you're like, well, you know, okay, if you knew me. I mean, you're always going to win that argument, right? But we argue with the preacher in our head. So I know some of you are arguing me, with me in your head while I'm saying this. And some of you right now are saying, Todd, that's great. That's wonderful. I mean, he let go of heaven to grab a hold of me. But here's the thing, Todd. With, with all due respect, Mr. Preacher, with all due respect, Todd, if, if, if you knew me, you, if, you, if you knew what I have done, if you knew all the things I've done, you wouldn't be saying, you know, that he's so madly, deeply in love with me. And you know what? It's true. I don't know everything you've done. That, that's true. And some of you are saying, well, Todd, it's not even what I've done. Todd, if you knew, listen, listen, if you knew what I'm doing right now, if you knew the life that I'm leading right now, yeah, I'm at Easter weekend services, but if you knew what I was doing right now, you wouldn't be so swift to say that he loves me in that way. And some of you are saying, Todd, forget about what I've done or what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm getting ready to do things. Like I got sin on the calendar. Okay, it's coming up later today or next week. I scheduled it. And you're right. You're right. I don't know what you've done or what you're doing or what you're getting ready to do. But I do know this. There is nothing you could do to make God stop loving you. It's true. Amen. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you will do. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian and a Christ follower all of your life or this is the very first you know, church celebration, Easter service you've been to in like 20 years. God loves you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But the fact is there's nothing you could do to make God stop loving you. And because that is true, he did the only thing he could do. He let go of his grip on heaven to come here and try and grab a hold of you. And the story continues on in verse 7 in Philippians. It says, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Maybe you've read that before or thought about that before. It's like it's, it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? I mean, how, how can God, how can the big G God become human? I mean, how does that happen? How does he become a servant? How does he become human? Maybe you've wondered that for a long time. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you how he did it. You want, you want, you want to know how he did it? I'll tell you how he did it. You want to know? I have no idea how. I have no idea how God becomes human. I don't know how he did it. But listen, I do know why. I don't know how, but I do know why he did what he did. In order to make that clear to us, let me tell you a little story. It's a story about a king who, who lived uh, like hundreds of years ago in medieval days. He had this big castle that he lived in. Think about it, if there's any Monty Python fans. Think about Monty Python, you know, the Knights of the Round Table, right? He had this huge castle. And, and what would happen is every evening just before dark, he would go out onto his balcony and he would look out over all of his people and all of his land, people who were working the fields and the crops and things like that. And he would watch this every night. And, and what happened is this king, he started to recognize this one woman, this peasant woman who was working out in the fields, and every night she'd come in, her house, her little, her little hut was right near the castle, and he could see her pretty clearly coming in near the castle, and she was wearing rags, and she was all dirty, she'd been working the field, but the king kind of started to fall for her, started to fall in love with her, so he started watching her every night. 
And so he finally brings some of his advisors up there on the roof, on the balcony with him, and, and he begins to describe, you know, what's happening. You see that lady? You see that lady right there, the one coming in right there? I think I love her. I do. I think I'm falling for her. You guys got to help me. I got to know what to do. How can I make her my queen? And, and, and one of his advisors speaks up and says, that's easy. Here's what you do. You just command it. I mean, just write a decree or something like that. Command it. You're the king. You can do whatever you want. Just, just command that she loves you. And the king thinks about it and says, you know what? I can do that. I'm the king. I got all the power. But then he starts to think and say, you know what? If I did that, how would I know if she really loves me or I'm just making her love me? No, I get that. That's not going to work. That, I can't do that. And so the advisors go away. Several more nights go by. He sees that same peasant lady coming in and out, and he pulls the advisors back up there and says, all right, you guys, this is, this is crazy. You got to help me. I got to figure out how I can show my love to her, how she can be my queen. And, and one of them pipes up and says, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You just buy her all kinds of nice stuff. Ladies love nice things. Amen, ladies? <laughs> ladies love nice things. And so you just, you, just shout, you just bless her beyond belief. And the king thinks, I could do that. I could just buy all sorts of things for her, and I could just bless her beyond what she has ever been blessed in her life. But then he starts to think immediately, how would I know, though, if she really loves me or she just loves all the blessings that I'm giving to her? And he thinks, that, you know what, that's, that's not going to work either. Several more days go by, and a week goes by, and the king knows what he needs to do. So one morning, just as the sun is coming up, the king goes down to the back entrance to the castle where all of the servants are coming in to work. And he goes and he takes off his kingly robe. And he lays that down. And he takes his scepter and lays that down. And then he takes off his crown. And he lays that crown down on the ground. And he picks up some of the old rags and some of the old clothes and the robes that the servants are wearing and he puts those on and he walks out the back door of the castle out into the field to be with the one he loved. You see, the king became just as ragged as the one he loved. It was the only way. Pretty romantic, isn't it? Some of the ladies right now are going, oh, I love that story. That's so good. It's pretty romantic. Does it sound familiar? It should. We read this passage probably just a few months ago at Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 12 says, And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Friends, listen, our king, Jesus, became just as ragged as the ones he loved, you and me, because it was the only way to really be with us. And the Bible goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, and says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death. On a cross. You see, Jesus, Jesus didn't come to die of old age. We know this. Jesus didn't come to this earth to die of in some disease or to die in his sleep. Jesus came to die in a way that no one wants to die. Jesus had an appointment with the cross. 
In fact, in the Old Testament of the Bible, we're told what he would go through and, and, and why he did what he did. We're given some prophecy on that. Take a look at this in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, chapter 53, starting in verse 4. It says, and surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Several years ago, I took uh, my daughter Ruby to a passion play in Los Angeles. I think we have a picture of her to put up on the screen. This is my daughter Ruby. She is a little, she's a little stinker, I'll tell you. Uh, this is when she was about seven or eight years old. She's much bigger than this now. But when she was little like that, I took her to a passion play. You know what a passion play is, right? It, it shows the last week in the life of Jesus and what he did. And this was in Los Angeles, California. And we were at this big church, and uh, it was, you know, like uh, it, the actors were incredible. We had the live animals, you know, going down the, the middle aisle. And, and when Jesus was beaten, it looked very real, and there was blood, and we had the cross, and we had angels, you know, like, whoo. You know, like come, coming down from the rafters and stuff. It was unbelievable. So I go and I take my daughter Ruby to that when she's little. And we stand in the back the whole time. In fact, I think I stood the whole time. And she stood on a seat in front of me. So here's her standing on a seat and here I am. And, and I'm taking this in and I'm moved. I'm, I'm a little scared and frightened at times. And I'm watching her and she seems to be okay. And we get through the whole passion play with everything that goes on and the crucifixion and the angels and the resurrection and all that. And, and she just kind of seems unmoved. We go out and get in the car, and we start talking about it and what it means and, and how all that happened. And, and she, again, she seemed pretty much okay. A couple of weeks go by, and my wife, Renee, is driving down the 5 freeway with my daughter, Ruby, back in her you know, little uh, seat you know, that you strap them into, right? Those, those little seats. And she's strapped into that seat, and all of a sudden, my daughter, Ruby, starts just screaming out, I don't want to die! I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Which is a really common response when people are driving on the freeway in L.A. But it, she, was, it was, she knew all about that. It, was, it, it wasn't just that. Um, she, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And she just won't be quiet. And so my wife, Renee, she tells the story. That's how you know it's true. And she, my wife, Renee, she, she, she actually pulls the car over to the side of the road on the 5 freeway and looks back and says, Ruby, what's going on? She says, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And my wife, Renee, says, oh, Ruby, when we die, we get to go be in heaven with Jesus. And, 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 and Ruby says, yeah, yeah, I know, but how long will I have to be up there? And Renee says, oh, we'll be in heaven with Jesus, you know, forever. And Ruby says, no, 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 not how long will I have to be in heaven. How long do I have to be up on that cross? You see, my little girl, for the last several weeks since that passion play, 
had thought she had to go to that cross too. And a big reason for that is because that's what I was telling her. I was saying, you know, Ruby, the way we get to heaven is through the sacrifice and through the cross of Jesus. That's what allows us to go to heaven is what Jesus did. And she thought she had to do that. And my wife, Renee, she said, Ruby, 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 you don't have to do that. You don't have to go to the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that you don't have to. And listen. Wherever you are, have a lot of faith and trust in God or just a little bit of faith and trust and a lot of doubt in God. I'm here to proclaim to you that you do not have to go to the cross. Jesus did that for you. Amen? Jesus sacrificed his life to save your life. And the passage in Philippians goes on and wraps up like this in verse 9. It says, therefore, because of all these things we've just talked about the last little bit, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hope, listen. The story of Easter is that Jesus lived and then he died and now he lives again. Jesus is alive. He's alive. And, and he was willing to let go of his grasp on heaven to come here to try and grab a hold of you. And he's reaching out right now. Right now. And I know that there's some of you on all of our campuses, some of you who are watching online, I know that there's some of you who have reached out and you've grabbed the hand of Jesus. Maybe it was a few weeks ago or a few months or a few decades ago, but you've grabbed the hand of Jesus and it has changed your life. It gives you a reason to live for tomorrow, hope for tomorrow, and it's changed your eternal zip code. But I also know that there's others gathered all around this weekend and you, you've heard that Jesus is reaching out to you, but you've sat for just a lot of years with just your arms crossed. And you know he's reaching out, but you kind of just have this posture. I don't know. I don't think I can do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not there yet. And listen, maybe this weekend, maybe this Easter weekend is the weekend where you finally begin to uncross your arms. And you begin to reach out to Jesus. I want us to go back now for just a moment and hear more of Steve's story. I want you to see what happens in his life when he opens his heart up to God and when he reaches out and grabs a hold of Jesus. Watch this. I couldn't face tomorrow. As time went on, um, it became very clear that me throwing myself into work after such a loss and continuing to perform and be on stage and try and push this down, push the grief down and not confront it, was a situation that was a ticking time bomb. So these jobs now, these gigs I was doing where I wasn't drinking, now I was saying yes to everything that was being offered to me. Yes, I'll have another drink. It became more about me rather than the twins. It became more about feeding this addiction that had its hooks in me rather than 
numbing myself to the pain that I was going through. And uh, one Sunday afternoon, it was on May the 4th, I was sneaking bottles out to the trash can wrapped in paper so they wouldn't cling and clang. Um, and I took this baggage and I dropped it in the recycling bin and just like that, the second they hit that, I was brought to my knees. And that void that I had inside of me became filled with the light of Jesus Christ. And I was just shaken to my core. And I knew that at that point, I was experiencing a complete, total change. I called a, uh, a comedian that I knew was active in the Alcoholics Anonymous community. And the very next day, I was at my first meeting. When I first entered into AA, what, what fascinated me the first day was that God is mentioned in six of the 12 steps and implied in two of the others. So I knew that I was on the right path. And I also knew with 100% certainty that I would not be able to do this without God, without submitting completely to his will. I never took a drink again after that May 4th. I never had, uh, I've had had alcohol since. It's been a long time too, and I haven't touched it. And it's just, when you're given a second chance like I was given like that, you don't want to blow it. God raised me up out of that, out of that life, out of that existence, out of that pattern. And uh, he helped me be the person I could be for my family. And eventually we ended up moving to Raleigh about five years ago. We've decided that we wanted to live a God forward life, you know, with that front and center. And that's, and that's what we've been able to do here thanks to the community we found. Six months ago, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Um, it's certainly taken its toll. I've undergone chemotherapy for the last six months, but uh, God got me out of LA. God saw me through my addiction, and uh, I know that God's got me, and now I know I can face tomorrow. Yeah, can we thank God for Steve and for his story? Amazing, amazing what God is doing in Steve's life and his story and, and so many of our lives when we open up our heart to him and when we reach out to Jesus. From Steve's story, it's very clear that a relationship with Jesus can set you free and can save your life. It'll give you a reason and a hope to live tomorrow. And that's what some need. We just need Jesus standing beside us to have that freedom and that hope. And let me pull all of this together this Easter weekend by just telling you one last story and kind of wrapping things up with this. And it's a story uh, about one of our Ivy League schools, universities like Harvard or Yale or something like that. And it's the story of a freshman physics class. And this freshman physics class is like one of those flunk out classes. No one is going to pass this class. The, the professor is going to have to grade on a curve. Maybe some of you have had a class like that. You're saying, hello, yeah. And so it comes down to the end of the semester, and the professor does something that they've never done before in the history of all of their teaching. The professor tells all of his students that they can bring one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with them into the test. And whatever they can put on this paper, whatever they can get on this paper, they can use that paper on the test. So he's essentially telling all of his students that they can create a what? Wow, a lot of you knew that. <laughs> that's, that's, I may have a little prayer time right afterwards down front here for those of you. Yeah. You're right, uh, it was very loud. A cheat sheet, yes. 
you can create a cheat sheet. And so, you know, all the students are getting together during the week and they're in their dorm rooms and they're writing down everything they can and putting everything they can on the paper. And they get to the day of the test. They're all in the classroom. They're putting down things. They're all seeing if they miss something. And this one student walks in and his paper is blank. There's nothing on it. And the students say, oh, he, he, he must not have got the word or he must have forgotten or something like that. And this student comes in and he just sets that piece of paper down beside his desk. And just moments before the test is getting ready to begin, a senior who's graduating in the area of physics walks through the front doors of the classroom, walks right over to this kid and then just stands on his paper. Because the professor said, whatever you can put on your paper, you can use on that test. Amen? <laughs> I know, right now, some, some of you are saying, that is the best information I've gotten in church forever, okay? Some of you students are saying, I'm going to use that. I am using that. Yeah, whatever you can put on the paper, you can use on the test. How many of you know he aced that test? Right? Because whenever he needed something, he would just ask that senior and say, hey, help me with this. Hey, help me with this. And he aced that test. And the reason I bring all of this up is because one of these days, you know this is true. You know it deep down in your heart. One of these days, there's a final exam coming for each and every one of us. And we're going to stand before God. And God's going to say, why should I give you eternal life? And why should I give you eternal life? And why should I give you eternal life? And guess what? On your own, on our own, we cannot pass that test. Well, I did this, I went there, I was at Easter. We can't pass that test. And the only thing, the only thing that is gonna bail you out and bail me out on that day is Jesus Christ himself coming and standing beside you and putting his arm around you and saying, oh, this girl right here, she's with me. Oh, this guy, this guy, he's with me. And a relationship with Jesus will save your life. He'll save your life. And there is no doubt that he has let go of his grip here. And he is reaching out to you here even today. And maybe, maybe today's the day you reach out to him. I'm going to pray for us for just a moment. And then after that, the band on all of our campuses is going to lead us in a song that is just incredible and powerful. And while I'm praying and while we're singing this song, if you need to, right where you are, on your campus, in your seat, at your home, in your couch, in your car, wherever you are, you can just reach out your hand. And I think when you do, you'll find and feel just like Steve did that God is right there, ready to grab a hold of you. Let's pray together. God, thank you so very much for your goodness to us and your grace to us. Even in the midst of all that we are doing and will do, your love breaks through it all. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus that he would let go of heaven to come be with us, that he would become a servant, that he would become just as ragged as us, the ones he loved, and, and then he would go to the cross for us. God, I pray somehow that even if we have heard this story, 
since we were six or seven years old. God, I pray that somehow today that, that you would do something new in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would touch a place in our hearts. And that we would see new and fresh what you have done and what you are doing. God, I pray, I pray, God, that you would touch the hearts of those who need to reach out to you, who have had their arms crossed for so many years. God, I pray that their heart, even right now, would be beating out of their chest. And as we begin to sing, they would just extend a hand out towards you. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we celebrate him this Easter weekend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.